This is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping engineers succeed in work and life. The show is hosted by engineering enthusiast Anthony Fasano and Chris Knutson. Both are professional engineers who found success early in their careers and now work together to help other engineers do the same. Now it's showtime. Hello, this is Anthony Fasano, and this is the show for engineers who want to succeed in both work and life. In today's episode, you're going to hear the second part of this two-part series on business development. It's actually a panel that was held at our Engineering Career Summit in New Orleans this past May. The first episode was really interesting in a lot of ways, but there was a lot of value bombs dropped in it. But this episode gets even more interesting because it's going to start off with one of the attendees asking about I want to leave my company, but I want to maintain the relationships and then build my own clientele. How does that work? All right. So before we jump right back into the panel, I would like to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. If you're thinking about taking an FEPE or SE exam, I recommend that you check out PPI, the leader in engineering exam prep. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code COACH at ppitopass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com, and use promo code COACH for a 20% discount. All right, so now, if you didn't listen to episode one of this two-part series, you should go back and check it out. That's episode 121 of the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. However, I'm going to just briefly introduce the panelists again here. Carl Herrick is in sales. He was an industrial engineer by background. Now he runs a sales coaching company in Baton Rouge. Perrin Olson, he helps professional services companies in the AEC world to grow through proven cost-efficient methods like brand positioning, content marketing, thought leadership, and even marketing automation. Jim Rogers is the author of Win More Work. He's also co-founder with myself of the Seller Doer Academy for Civil Engineers, and he's a consultant, speaker, and author, and sales presentation coach that essentially helps engineering firms win more work. And then Christy Mirambell is the owner and founder of K-Bell Engineering. She wanted to really give industrial and commercial clients in the Gulf South a reliable customer service-oriented provider of engineering, construction, and management services, and that's what she's built over the last eight years. All right, so with that, let me give you a quote, and then we're going to go right in, and it starts with an attendee asking a question about starting his own business, which I'm going to actually narrate for you. Accept the challenges so that you can feel the exhilaration of victory from George S. Patton. That's our quote for today. Accept the challenges so that you can feel the exhilaration of victory, and I say that because Business development and sales is a challenge for engineers. It's a huge challenge. But in this episode, you're going to learn how you can get a leg up on that challenge. And if you can learn how to do business development and sales, I would say it puts you in the top 10 to 20% of engineers worldwide. So let's rock and roll. All right, so this is where the panel begins for this session, the second half of the panel. It's an attendee basically saying, I'm thinking about leaving my company and starting my own company, but there's concerns. One, like, you know, what about taking clients with me? I'm concerned about that. I don't want to upset my former company. I want to maintain a good relationship. How do I approach this situation? How do you do that business development? Or something on the side while still maintaining 
that relationship at your current job if you're not ready to go branch off yet? Or is it something where that business development doesn't really happen until you actually go out? Or for a large company? Yeah, no, it's still relationships. I mean, you build the relationships. When you leave, the relationships don't sever. And that's the challenge of salespeople. I mean, it's just when the salesperson walks out the door, those relationships can walk out the door too. So, I mean, you're the power person when you, when you leave because you're the one with the relationship. You're the one the clients trust. But you got to, I did that. Yeah. I did that identical thing. I did it when I was 28. I'm glad I did it when I was 28 because I didn't realize what I was doing was crazy. I went to the owner of the company and I said, I'd like to start my own business and I have no money and I want you to help me pay for it. And he said, tell me why. And so that weekend I put something together and I told him why. It was a wonderful opportunity. What we agreed to was he would financially support, you know, he would be my capital investor, provided that I didn't take his clients out of respect. And because of that, to this day, I have a great mentor. He experienced a lot of growth during Katrina, and then he had experienced a lot of downsides right now because of the oil field industry. I call him, like I am one thirtieth the size of his company. I call him and we have the same exact problems. He just has it at a much higher and I have it at a much lower, but it's the same exact stresses. But I have someone who's ahead of me in this road of business. So what I'm saying is don't write off the idea that the only way I could start my own business is by burning a bridge with the company I'm with. You, it is your job to think of the creative way that you can make positives on both sides. And I had to go, I started my career in the oil field industry from 18 to 28. And then at the age of 28, I had to go into the government. I knew nothing about T-walls. I knew nothing about pump stations. And I had to start from zero. I had no contacts. I had nothing. But I did. And I'm fine. So I'm just saying, challenge yourself of what you can do that can complement the company. Because... Right now, you may say, I don't care if I burn a bridge. They were idiots anyway. But I promise you, like we met two years ago, mm -hmm. three years ago, and we're running into each other. Imagine if me and him got into a fight three years ago. This would be a little awkward. <laughs> so I'm just telling you, this industry is small, and you don't want to burn bridges. And this city and state is small. Correct. <laughs> and, Correct. and Baton Rouge is small. But you know, the word that keeps coming up to me is strategy. Absolutely. Right? So it's a strategy, Tim. You had a strategy. I love your strategy when you left. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. It's very professional. And it's, it's really who we are as engineers, right? Again, it's all about minimizing risk. It's very risky to be burning your bridges. And the other areas that we always talk about are there's skills, there's staffing, and there's structure. When you start a company, one of the things that is riskiest is you don't have all the structure that you had for the company you left. Absolutely. So, you mean, really do some work on this. I, the E-Myth, anyone familiar with the book, The E-Myth yes. by Michael Gerber? Yes. Great book, right? So, we're all strong technical people, but don't know how to run a business. Mm -hmm. Cash flow and all these things. And, and so, have mentors. Uh, if I could do it over again, I've been in business for seven years now, I would have outsourced to some of the other professions sooner. Instead yeah. of me trying to be the chief cook and bottle washer in ways that I didn't have any business and made all the mistakes and worked 12, 14 hours every day, six days, seven days a week. But now, one other thing about sales, the common mistake that people make, and some of you know the, the math on this, how much of the time should you be talking in the sales call as you're trying to develop relationships, trust, and business? 
What percentage of the time should you be talking? What percentage should you be listening? We usually say about 70-30. If it's 50-50, you're usually doing well. But as engineers who have all the information are used to going, ooh, 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 I know, I know. Guess what we frequently do when I started? Only one problem. You don't even know if they have any pain, if they have any problems. And if so, you don't, you're not addressing them because you're too busy selling what you want to sell. Your credibility, I would think, is going down because you're just pitching. So you really have to practice asking better questions because it's through the questions that you identify, Jim, I'm not sure we should do business together at all. Please share with me why is it you even agreed to meet with me? Yeah. What I is your pain? You, right. It's the <laughs> Disney World approach. How many times in Disney World you're happy and you don't know why? And all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I do want an ice cream. You didn't decide you wanted the ice cream. He decided because he knew every seven minutes someone's looking for something sweet to eat, right? So that's the difference. In my opinion, I run my company strategically because I want to do great. I could run my company by working hard and making good money and providing for my family, but the difference is I'm strategically going after something. Another thing is when I come to the table, I'm thinking about what you need because I want to tell you, when, I want to Disney World you. I want to tell you, hey, you need this and this is why you need it. So Monday, I'm going to a de-scoping meeting. I'm showing up with how, by you hiring me, you're going to make tons of money. Now, the guy I'm meeting with, he doesn't think I'm coming to show him how he thinks I'm coming going, Kayvel is great. You really want to do work with us. We're wonderful. No, I'm coming to the table going, you can't afford to use anyone else because I'm going to make you this money. And so I'm telling him, but he thinks I'm coming in to talk about me. And that's, I think, the approach. They're more business development, but that's the strategicness of it. Well, that, that would fall under pleasure. I mean, people do things based on emotion, so it's either the pleasure of that if you work with me that you will grow your business, you'll achieve your goals, or because you're not working with me, you're experiencing this pain, this pain, and this pain, mm -hmm. and as a result, you're working until midnight every night and you haven't seen your family for three yes. months, and we can address that. Or you have attorneys calling you up because you had it failed, or because you have too many change orders, or because you have too many delays. And I love one of my clients just built building for the advocate, the new advocate building on I-10. And John Georges, who owns it, came out and said that they finished the project ahead of schedule and under budget. That's the kind of press you want. Mm -hmm. We heard Will Schneer this morning as well say that he'll, his company will often do ten or $10,000 worth of due diligence work for a company without a company, just trying to get a contract that's like $250,000, $300,000 because they want to give them that value. They want to show them how much money they're going to save them. We know you got to get a variance. We know how to do that. It's going to save you a lot of months if you work with us. Here's how we're going to do it. And they're giving them advice. They're giving them valuable advice because you know they want to they, they want to go for the bigger goal. Now at this point, an attendee asks an interesting question. He says, "Can each of you tell me what the longest sales cycle that you've had has been?" So in other words, from the point where you start to talk to someone to the point you make a sale. What's the longest time that that cycle's actually been? And there's some interesting answers. Here we go. My longest ever in 30 years was four years. It was the second largest cooling system east of the Mississippi River. And it was in an existing account. And I went from 10 units to where we were responsible for 22. It was all a win-win situation. I don't recommend that, but if you're putting enough things in the top of the funnel and there's enough coming out of the pipe as part of your strategy, you can afford to do that. Does that make sense? 
I didn't have the process I have today. I could have accelerated that if I knew what I was doing better. I could have qualified or disqualified sooner, but I did get that piece of business. I'm not sure I really have a story that fits. I mean, my, I, mean I had a relationship I built over about seven years, and it was when I switched firms. I went from a small local firm here to a national firm I'm at now, and we sent out an email that said, hey, parents at Hinge, and she's like, we need to talk, because it was $1.8 billion subsidiary, and I couldn't help them where I was at. I had the relationship, know her well, and it's actually still helping now because we can have very frank conversations, but I didn't have the infrastructure support that I do now. So you just heard Perrin talking about how long it took for this one relationship to come to fruition in business. And an attendee asked here, did you know when you first started talking to this woman that you wanted to have her as a client eventually? I certainly wanted her. But it was, that was one of the reasons I left the old company was I wanted to go after the bigger people and I couldn't make it. And at that time, I wasn't the owner of that firm and my boss wanted to go smaller and more local instead of more niche and vertical and national difference of visions and I left a firm that was already doing that. So yeah, so I, I, I was, my goal was always to go work with Natalie and I didn't think five, seven years ago when I was first talking to her, it was more about building a friendship. We were in associations together, things like that. I knew that was my eventual goal, but she didn't know that at the time. And really when, you know, I went from a six person firm to a 36 person firm and growing, you know, that's what did it. So. I, I actually want to share a story because it's not my story. It's a story I learned last week. And so it's fresh on my mind. And I don't know if it can answer the question about how long it could take, but I am facilitating a panel in July with the water executives from two state area and we decided to put a program together called How to Be Easy to Do Business With. And so there'll be consulting engineers there, but there'll also be people from water, authority, the owners from water companies, right, are going to be there as well. And, of course, nobody really thinks that those folks are easy to do business with unless they're already doing business with them, right? So the big question is, how do I crack in? How do I break in? How do I break in if there's already entrenched competition? And so I called one guy pre-interviewing all the panelists, and I said, you know, we're, you're, he didn't really quite understand what the panel was about because the person that organized it didn't describe it uh, maybe uh, with enough specifics. But I said, it's really going to be about how to, do, how to be easy to do business with. And he goes, oh, I'm, I'd be a terrible candidate for that. And I said, why? He said, because I use the same, I use SSR. I don't know if they operate down here. That's my go-to firm. And you have to have, I have to have a really good reason for that, uh, for me not to use Smith, Setman, Reed, and Reed. And he said, because uh, my procurement rules don't mean that I don't have to go compete all of these projects because he's not, he's not state government or federal government, so he can kind of do what he wants. And he said, but somebody did crack in. And what happens that I'll see is people will show up at my monthly board meetings, you know, and they'll come talk to me. They want to come meet with me, find out what I have going on. And he's kind of like, you know, you don't have anything to offer me. Shoot, get out, you know, get out of my office. I'll be pleasant with you because it's part of my job to talk to people about what's going on. And he's like, the people aren't showing up, helping me anticipate problems, extend my understanding of a problem, having heard, seen something in the newspapers or heard something at a board meeting, and come say, I can help you solve that problem. Or I'm not the right person to help you solve that problem, but here's what has to happen. Here's an article. Let me bring you an article to read about that happening in Seattle or wherever else that kind of common problem might have occurred. He said, um, so most people don't show up. He said, one firm 
kept coming, kept coming, kept coming, didn't quit like a lot of people did. And finally, they needed to do some, I don't know, pipe re rehab, and that was a specialty of this smaller niche firm. And he said he hired them because they had built trust with him over about an 18-month period, hired them to do the specialty work, and now he gives them general design consulting work. So it's not just SSR and his stable. That company is now in his design stable. For me, I can't afford long lead times before I land a deal. However, what I do is, you know, I, I reach out, but like as soon as I get off the phone with you, I'm moving on. I got, I got to keep knocking on doors. And I guess it's kind of by nature, the people that I kind of relate to more, I enjoy being around them. I build a friendship with them. I met a guy, I got a phone call from my bonding company asking me to speak to this large firm who needed assistance dealing with the Corps of Engineers. So I met with them, and two years later, I get a knock on the door from a different company saying, we want you to come do work for us. Well, come to find out, a guy that attended that meeting was impressed with me. He switched companies, and when he did, he told the company. So honestly, like, this is my business development. You know, if I impress you guys, you're going to go back and go, oh, wow, this girl talked, and she works for cable. And then if I didn't, y'all are going to go, wow, this girl talked, and she don't call her. So this is my <laughs> business development. You know, this is me kind of so. And I think, Bob, you and I are kind of in the same boat. You know, we're knocking on doors, but just don't write off anyone, because there's someone in the back of the room that's kind of paying attention. He's like, wait, someone did mention this. So... Yeah, I think the first lesson I learned, you mentioned earlier, is don't burn your bridges. Yeah. And I'm amazed how many clients that I just want to, like, kick and scream and curse at and burn their house down. It just went that bad. And I'm like, no, I'm just take the high road. And five years later, that client's now somewhere else. Absolutely. You know, I've seen so many stories. I mean, there's this great little quote on, in LinkedIn. You'll see some sometimes it's some guy just stole my parking spot, cursed me out, and he walked in. He's sitting in my office. I'm about to interview yeah. for a job. <laughs> it's... <laughs> I call so, that karma. Yeah, it's total karma, and it's don't burn your bridges. I just had it happen, right? So I was trying to park, and I was trying to find this location, and a guy's walking out of the Marriott Hotel restaurant, and he's wearing a nice suit. And I think he's an executive there. He's actually interviewing for a job. He wants to go from a sous chef to go to become a cuisine chef. One of my big clients does business with every restaurant in this state, and I'm going to give his card... Mm -hmm. to those guys because they know everybody who's looking for a chef mm -hmm. because he was nice he literally walked me to this hotel yep. so just yeah absolutely be, be nice to people all the time I have someone that just became a client I've known him for four and a half years it wasn't the right time but he just joined a networking organization that one of my workers is in now he's a client because the time is right don't discount referral sources you kind of mentioned the bonding it I was building relationships with Bonnie, and all of a sudden, one of them, just, one of them I'd never met, it was a, like a friend, of, a coworker of a person I knew, recommended me to two other construction companies. I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't from a referral from an IT firm into a construction company 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. They got me into this whole industry. I mean, I was a general design web marketing firm, and that got the referral turned into five more referrals than 10. Now, here an attendee mentions a very interesting story about his own sales cycle, so to speak, was a recent college graduate called him up and asked if he would consider hiring me as for a job. So he offered to go to lunch with this kid and gave him advice, told him he would try to make some connections for him, ended up that it fell through and he wasn't able to help him land a job, but you know, he, he gave him some advice. He was, he was helpful, as helpful as he could be. And then sure enough, the kid went and got a job with another firm 
and maybe six months to a year later, called this gentleman back and said, we'd love for you to do a proposal for our company on this project. So essentially, it was kind of a long and diluted sales cycle, but it was only because he tried to help a recent graduate. So it was very interesting, and you can hear the panelists talk about this a little bit. Can I ask one quick question? If I ask you all right now to name the three categories that you have to identify to qualify someone, whether they're a suspect or a prospect, because the danger in a new business is that cash flow is very, very slim. True or false? So you've got to not waste your time with suspects who either won't or can't afford you. So how do you qualify someone? Do you know what those three things are? So you're at risk if you don't, because I didn't know. That's why I'm asking you. How do you know that you should even go talk to them and or invest and do some pre-work and pre, you know, pre-consulting, whatever you want to call it? Good. Evaluate their, their knowledge already or provide to it. I mean, that's what I try to do is get an idea. You know, the call was some idea. Okay, so some knowledge. What else? Okay, so you're asking, thank you very much. I'd love to know because we're wondering, was it networking? Was it marketing? We, we'd love to know what's working and what's not so we can do more of what's working. But what is it that they need to be able to answer for themselves to make a decision to do something, to do it now, and to do it with you? They have to be able to afford you. They have to have a budget, right? Good, what else? They have to have a pain or a pleasure. Otherwise, they'll just keep kicking this thing down the street. They get, they get proposals once a year and they have never done anything for five years, right? What's the third thing? They have to have the authority to make the decision. Frequently, you're gonna be talking to people who are screeners who are not the authority figures. You wanna be talking to Christy, you wanna be talking to Jim, you wanna be talking to Perry, you wanna be talking to me. Because if you spend time with those that you're comfortable with, which might be your pay grade, but they can't make the decision, it can be very slow or it can be very risky. Jim, would you agree? I, mean, I no, I agree. And you know, you were, I was uh, when when you were talking about your your criteria, you, you probably know is it IBM that had Bant that invented the term Bant? You know, budget, authority, need, and timing. Because the other element of that is. When is it going to happen? So it's not it's not just it has dollars allocated. Absolutely. So is it going to happen? The, pain, the more the pain, the, the more the timing is now. Yeah, I talk about painkillers and vitamins. And as a startup company and in a software, I'm founder of a failed startup, and I say that I'm a failed software engineer proudly, or a software entrepreneur very proudly. But if you pitched angel investors, if you pitched, if you pitched venture firms. They would say, you got to know whether you're a painkiller or a vitamin. Mm -hmm. And painkillers went out about 80% of the time, right? Vitamins went about 20% of the time. That's the pleasure or the kind of the positive side of it. If I'm going to help you boost revenue, that's not as important as I can help you. I can help you make $100,000 or I can help you save $100,000. Somebody's going to, because of some pain that I have, they're always going to save $100,000. The the psychology of that is that we're much more likely to try to avoid pain as humans than we are to achieve some growth or some some gain. And the the challenge is 90% of engineering firms say we're qualified. That doesn't either. So if you think about the deals you've lost, you're like, well, I was qualified to win. So what? So it's the person that won. It's rare when the person that won the deal was less qualified than you. Well, that gets into value proposition in staying away from being commoditized. Mm -hmm. They're always trying to commoditize us, true or false. Mm -hmm. Don't we try to commoditize when we buy things? Why? Because if we can pick from five, then we can beat them up on price. But if you're the only one who can actually 
in, in risk solution bases, engineers, that's where your strength is. goes back to what Philip and everyone else was saying, is that you want to be the specialist. And Philip actually is alive because someone was a specialist. He told us at lunch, right, Philip? You don't have to be the only one. You have to make them believe that yeah. you're the only one. It doesn't matter. The facts don't matter, right? It, they have to feel it's an emotional decision. I feel like they're the only people that are going to do this for me, and that could be completely wrong. There could be 20 people that could do it. So be Disney, not Universal Studios. Well, it's being married, right? Aren't we telling our husbands, look, I'm the best woman there is. Sorry, and vice versa. So we do it every day. The hardest question I've ever been asked was why is KVAL unique? And I tried the, because we're good, because we're smart, because we're, no one's not, everyone says they are. But when you get down to the heart of what makes you unique, when you find out that answer, that's your million dollar idea. And, and it's hard. And if you were to ask them, Christy, mm-hmm. well, what one thing would set us apart that you need and they answer it and then you happen to be that, that's nice because now they drew the map and you simply follow the trail yep. versus you pitching at them because you're just throwing darts with the blindfold on. So again, it's really about questioning and relationship and trust. I love what Jim just said. There could be 10, 20 people out there that can do it, but if they believe that you're the best or the only one, that's all that really matters. Perception is reality. Yeah. Now at this point, one of the attendees stood up and said that he has been doing some coaching work with a big engineering company. It's about a $20 million company. The owner realized that he's going to retire soon. And he's really the only rainmaker that the company has, or one of the few. And he was struggling to figure out how the people beneath him could tap into the existing relationships that they had, or that he had, for more work. What approach should they take, these project managers who are counting on other people to bring in work? Now they're thrusted into this position in this company where they've all of a sudden got to step up to keep this revenue up and keep it going. It's a lot of pressure. And the panelists gave some great input on this one. Here it is. They all have great answers. And certainly look at your successes. Who are you working with now who loves you? Go find some more that have the same pains that they had that you address better than anybody else. I mean, you don't have to reinvent this. And a way to do that is to ask for the referral. The word came up earlier is when you're meeting with them, say, can you think of someone else like you who might benefit from that? And you may sometimes want to let them know up front, I'm going to call you in a week and I'm going to ask you this question. And can you think of somebody like you who could benefit from what we provide? I'm going to give you a name and then you're going to say, well, is there anybody else? Mm-hmm. And then you have another name. You say, well, is there anybody? You maybe stop at three, right? Well, Sometimes if you just shut up, they'll give you like 10. Oh, you should call it. I'm like, and that's the relationship versus the commantity. Yes. If you're a relationship, they're going to refer you. You need to talk to Carl. Yes. And then can I use yeah. your name? Yeah. See, I like, I, I like the reverse. I, I say, you have a name, blah, blah, And they'll say, yes, so-and-so. And I'll say, you mind calling them? Telling them that I'm going to give them a call? I, yeah, I just so where, absolutely. Or send them an email. Yeah, just kind of. Absolutely. Kind of. Absolutely warm it up. Another yeah. thing is, you know, I have I have people that became my friends. And so we'll go eat lunch just out of friendships or whatever. But I'll pick their brain because every organization has a culture. And every organization has a personality. Some organizations require you to respect the hierarchy so you don't and then some are more flat managed so you need to understand the culture because my personality is this is black and white there's a problem we need to solve it like I don't understand and I was offending people and I wasn't doing it on purpose but it was like well clearly this is the problem let's just go fix the problem but then 
a guy sat me down at lunch and was like, okay, you need to realize that the way the culture is in our business is we go from A to B. To, and so that helped me as a business owner as well because I was still getting where I needed to go. I just wasn't stepping on people. I was working with people. But another thing, as a small business owner, we're trained to replace ourselves. The thought process is if a bus, if I get hit by a bus, is KVAL going to close? Well, for the past two years, I've been replacing myself in every position I've ran in KVAL. And so it sounds like with this organization, the rainmaker never replaced himself. Sure. So now you've got this large organization yep. that he's the heart. Well, you're trying to take a heart out of someone's body and then go find a heart that looks like his and kind of plug it in. How do you, it's kind of like taking your child and giving it to a stranger and saying, raise it the same way I love my child. So as a small business, I recognize that I need to replace myself and instead kind of be more of a strategic grower so where the heart of the business isn't Christy Mirambell. And in the branding side, I mean, that's a founder-focused brand. Mm -hmm. You need to transition to a company-focused brand. And it's more of a team approach for a while. And then if there's a generational, you could take it to another founder again, but yes. it's tough. I mean, whether it's generational or not, I mean, but that, that's the problem right now is the founder is the face of the company. The other danger is that lots of times that person has amazing relationships, can literally get through doors and things yeah. that some new person, as brilliant as they are in the yes. same company, doesn't have that. They can't just pick up the phone and get five doors open. Mm -hmm. So then they get frustrated. Why aren't you out there? You're not working. I'm not you. You, you yeah. you've earned that for 20 years, and you're drinking buddies and hunting buddies yes. and everything else. That's and, so true. And that's the problem with the generation shifts. Son or daughter can't do it. Like in New Orleans right now, we have I think six or seven construction companies that are second generation female owned. Yes. And yep. it's really weird to think of how traditional New Orleans is as a male dominated construction world, and there's all these females running these companies, and it's really exciting. But there's one in particular that I think of, and I know you'll pick up who I'm talking. The dad is just larger than life person and the daughter is just really quiet analytical so she found her niche as she sits on boards you look at her linkedin for she's on like 20 boards because she can sit in there know what's going on connect the dots meet people one-on-one -on, -one on the side while the dad would walk in the room and just own it yeah and he wouldn't even need to be on a board he'd just be outside laughing with somebody and get business so she had to find her own way to come in and yeah. do this because everyone's like she can't take over for him he, she can't she can't she's smarter than him she definitely can she has to do it her way by the Correct. way linkedin is a really good business. If you guys are thinking about running a business, what are you just in business, right? Do you, do you all agree, Anthony? Well, yeah, we've, we've talked about it. I mean, in the community we run, uh, a lot of the attendees here, we've had some sessions on LinkedIn and we've tried to really help them to build up their LinkedIn uh, profiles and strategies. All right, so we're just about out of time here, but what I'd like to do to kind of end off, which just to get one last perspective is, just to kind of summarize things, we go down the panel and, you know, if, if you were to, the best you could, summarize, you know, what business development is, what, what you think of it in a couple words or a sentence, what, what might you say? Come up this morning, and uh, I'm going to talk about it in a little bit. It's knowing what the client wants, and I would say not what they want, but what they really want, which is the deep down underlying need, which is the, they either want to attain something or avoid something, or, you know, pleasure or pain, so... Talk about that some more in a minute. Yeah, I'm kind of the same line. My wife's the presentation coach. She calls it audience centric. As a presenter, you're not supposed to be focused on you and what you're going to get, but what does the audience want? And you adjust this that. So that's about relationships, you know, about caring what the client cares about. So if you stay audience centric or buyer focused, two terms for it.
being a great listener, asking great questions, having drive. Chrissy has drive. Jim, she passed your test for sure, didn't she? <laughs> right? And I've actually created a sales oath. If anybody wants it, I'll be happy to send it to you. It's fashioned after the Hippocratic Oath. What is the three words in the Hippocratic Oath for medical people? Do no harm. Do no harm. Be a servant leader. You must be confident, skilled, assertive, but never aggressive. Great. Thank you. All right. So now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show where I'm going to try to summarize and distill down some of the ideas in this second part of this two-part series on business development and sales. But before I do this, I'd like to offer a word from today's sponsor, PPI. Engineers often ask me what exam prep materials or review courses they should use when preparing for the FEPE or SE exam. Hands down, I recommend PPI. I personally used PPI's materials to pass my exams, and I recently had a chance to demo their review courses. It's why I feel confident in recommending PPI for those of you planning to take the next step in your career. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code COACH at ppitopass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com, and use promo code COACH for a 20% discount. All right. So there was a lot of information in, in this episode, again, on kind of sales and business development and what to do. But something that really stuck out in this episode for me was the connection that people make that are in sales. It was referenced so many times in this two-part series. You need to connect with people. You need to sometimes get your head out of the technical side of a project and connect deeper with the people you're dealing with because that's how you can eventually build sales because they're going to come from these relationships, just like I talked about in the segment on the last episode. Be genuine. Be courteous. The one attendee took that intern in for lunch. He didn't have to take an hour and two hours of his time when he just started a business to go out to lunch with his intern who he didn't even know if he was going to be able to help get a job. And look what happened. The intern thought so highly of him. He went to his company, got a job somewhere else and brought work to this gentleman who, who took him out to lunch. So don't overthink things, right? Connect with people. That's what you need to do. And again, I always mention Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's just the best book out there for building relationships. It's practical and it's just simple. It's just be nice to people, essentially, if you want to sum up the book. But of course, Carnegie gives a lot of really great strategies and case studies and examples for doing so. So don't get overwhelmed by all this information. Just know that if you someone who produces value and gives value to people, and you're courteous and you're respectful and you're genuine with people, then you're going to be able to succeed in engineering, in business development, and in sales. And if you can't, if you're always looking out for your own interests, then you probably won't. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We'd love to hear feedback, comments, and or questions. Go to engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash BD panel two. That's lowercase BD for business development, lowercase panel, P-A-N-E-L, and then the number two all together, BD panel two. We monitor all comments and we'll respond if you leave us one. Until next time, please continue to engineer your own success. Thank you for listening to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Be sure to visit engineeringcareercoach.com where you can find all past episodes and also download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also to help develop your leadership abilities. 
Now is the time to engineer your own success.